Good morning, church. Good to see all your beautiful faces here this morning. Honestly, there is no better place to be than the house of the Lord. I mean, who are you depending on? <laughs> I mean, Niners ain't playing this weekend, so just saying. But uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, if you didn't get a chance to last week, we got those remembrance stones in the back. Please feel free at the end of service. Go ahead and get you a Sharpie. And uh, once again, it's the whole premise of what has the Lord done in your life that has been revolutionary? What is a miracle that you're never going to forget? You know, I mean, obviously you can't put, you know, what I mean, your whole testimony on the rock. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's just supposed to be symbolism. It's symbolic. It's something personal between you and God. You ain't got to tell nobody about it. Uh, but please uh, feel free. Like I said, uh, the rocks will be there for, uh, you know, the duration of this month or whatnot. You know, we're singing that song and, you know, no other name than Jesus. And for the Jewish people, Yeshua, it's the same person. Ain't no other name. Ain't no other person. Ain't no ain't no other God, but the God of all creation. I don't know if everyone here is familiar with the uh, ironic blessing, but I, I, I love that blessing. <laughs> that blessing was given to Aaron and his sons as they were they were uh, Levitical priests and they were to speak this blessing over Israel. You can read about that in Numbers chapter six, uh, verses 23 down through 27. I'll, it may not be it's not going to be on the screen, but I'll read it uh, for the sake of context. And then starting in verse 23, it says, speak to Aaron, and his sons and say, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift you up with his countenance and the Lord give you his peace. Amen. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. I love that. <laughs> it says, it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you today this morning. Who's keeping you? Who, who's, who's keeping you solid? Where's your foundation? Can't be in paper money. Shouldn't be. Can't be in your job or your career. Can't be in your family. Lord knows our families are all dysfunctional. So it's got to be the Lord that bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. I love that. I mean, we just had some rain and look at the physical sun is shining down upon this earth and it's making it warm and vibrant and bright. What about spiritually? What about your life today? Do you sense the Lord's face shining upon you with his favor? If you woke up this morning and you got breath in your lungs and you didn't have an aneurysm, well, you could, you could have even had an aneurysm and the, and the Lord still his blessing and his, his, his face will shine upon you. But it's like, OK, so his face is shining upon you. The Lord lifts you up with his countenance. What does he say? Take my yoke upon you because his yoke is easy and his burdens are light. How many of you have a burden today? It's heavy. Life is hard. We're going through all kinds of different things. Family problems, health issues, stuff with jobs, stuff with the world, looking at the craziness of the world and trying not to let anxiety run rampant in your mind. He'll lift you up with his countenance and he'll give you his peace. How many of us need peace today? I got both my hands up, man. I need peace. I need peace every day, all day. 
But I love that because if we, when we take a closer look at this text, it says, it shows us that the emphasis is God. And when we look at the whole of the Bible, you see, we, we have to read, we have to study the scripture through the correct lens. See, sometimes we, we tend to make it about us. Like, where can I find myself? Where, how is this speaking to me? Yes, the Lord, yeah, the scripture is, is never going to return void and it is always going to speak to us what the Lord wants to show us. But what the Lord wants to show us about himself, <laughs> he's trying to reveal, he's trying to give revelation so we could understand. And again, the, these blessings list the emphasis that the Lord is the one who blesses people. For what they cannot do for themselves. Aren't you so grateful that the Lord will bless you in what you cannot do for yourself? He will provide. He's a good, good father. For the child of God today, this blessing should be a reminder of what you and I have in Jesus Christ. Now, we're not we're not Jewish, but we can still adopt this blessing and this principle. Remember, we are grafted into the vine and now Jew and Gentile are one and the same. This prayer should also be a reminder for a fuller, a desire to have a fuller understanding of God's blessing. Amen. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to we're going to wrap up Ecclesiastes chapter seven. It's been a long time coming just in this just in this last portion of scripture. This is uh, this is part five of a five part series. I didn't really know how, you know, the Lord wanted to do it. But as I was telling Daniel this morning. When I was studying out through that throughout the text, like a month and a half ago, looking at this, there was like there was no way to really break it up. It was just all one one portion of scripture. So with that, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. I will be going through verses twenty five down through twenty nine. And this message is entitled as the last four have been the difference between wisdom and folly. So important to know that. So when you get there, if you could please turn in your paper back Bibles or if you got your cell phone, if you don't have either. Uh, we got the scripture on the screen. We do have some paperback Bibles on that little uh, that little box back there. But either way, if you could turn to this uh, page, uh, the portion of scripture and stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read our scripture. We'll pray and we'll get into our message this morning. So once again, starting in verse 25, it says, Then, excuse me, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I have found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have found nothing. Or excuse me, but I have not found One man among a thousand I find, but a woman among these I have not found. See this alone, I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Before you let your mind go anywhere, let's pray. (laughs) Yahweh, we we just thank you for, again, your your mercy and your grace. Thank you for uh, your presence in our lives. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would empty us of ourselves right now and fill us fresh 
with the full dose of your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to rightly divide your word, that we would understand, that you would give us discernment, that you would give us the ability to apply uh, the, the, the principles of this text to our lives. See, ex- Show us exactly where it hits for all of us. Reveal your son Jesus Christ to us in such a way that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that the scripture is pointing to him and him alone as the redeemer and redemption of our salvation. We thank you for who you are. We praise you because you are the only one to be exalted. And we pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. Uh, Like I said before, today we're looking to wrap up chapter seven. Uh, We spent a greater part of the last five weeks focusing on the difference between wisdom and uh, the difference between wisdom and folly, human, uh, human folly and godly wisdom. And it's so important that we know the difference between the two or else, you know, our lives are going to just be just going all over the place. We won't have any sure traction. We won't have any sure footing. And we want to make sure that we're on the right path. Amen. The right road. I pray that this series has enriched you in your walk with Messiah Jesus. Because we're always growing. We were talking about that in prayer this morning. The, the, the Christian life is never stagnant. It's not, it's not like the Dead Sea where it's just, it's not moving. There's always life. There's always something bubbling up in your Christian walk. And many times when we think we've got something understood, the Lord will show us we really don't have it understood. And he'll take us through some kind of trial or season and we'll have to relearn certain things. But that's okay because he's preparing us for an eternal glory. Something that we can't really even begin to comprehend what that's going to look like. Last week we looked at how godly wisdom is far stronger than 10 leaders of a city. That's crazy. Because we live in a day and age where everyone's searching for identity, right? Searching for identity. I'm trying to sculpt my body and make myself look a certain way. Or I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to, you know, uh, work out my career so I can have, you know, my name etched in, in, in some wall over here. Or, or I'm looking for identity in people or things. But he goes on to tell us that the wisdom that comes from him alone that's where good strength, that's where godly, that's where true strength is. And, it, and it's stronger than 10 leaders of a city. Godly wisdom is greater than brute strength. We were also reminded that no one is righteous apart from Jesus Christ, which in turn helps the believer to humble him or herself and turn back to God, recognizing our own inadequacy and our own inability to do The right thing. We need the Lord to do the right thing. Amen. Lastly, we learned that the more godly wisdom we actually obtain, we come to realize how much we actually don't know, (laughs) which makes us even more dependent upon God, which is actually the best possible position to live from. Living out of humility, living out of an understanding that I don't got it all figured out. But as long as the Lord gives me what I need to know, when I need to know it, then I'm good to go. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to answer every single question. I can't answer every single question that's given to me about the Bible or the Word of God. As long as I know what I need to know, when I need to know it, that is the key. Amen. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. Many people like Solomon search Every possible avenue in life for wisdom, only to be referred back to Jesus, 
whom is wisdom. <laughs> People search for everything. They search through every avenue trying to find wisdom in life. But if they are truly open to the revelation and the reality of who Jesus the Messiah is, they will be turned back to him. You see, verse 25 tells us clearly Solomon was on the hunt He was locked in. He was ultra-focused. The text says he turned his heart to know, to search, and to seek out wisdom. This is why every... I I love the teaching of of, of line by line. Because that's how we study the Word of God. Amen? Line by line, precept upon precept. You can't be bouncing around. Topicals are cool and everything. But it's good to just, just a good, solid study of the word. Because every portion of scripture, every, every phrase has so much depth to it. The Jewish historians say that even in you know, one line, there's four, different, there's four different depths, if you will. And that probably doesn't even scratch the surface of what the scripture actually says. I could expound on, on one verse for the whole hour and a half we're here. That's why I say it's not a big deal about whatever little chunk we take because we, we, we want to do the word of God is just service. And, and you know, obviously human beings, apart from the Holy Spirit, we, we don't do that. But when we look at this text, just looking at he turned his heart. When you look at that, 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 that phrase, this wasn't something casual. This wasn't some, something like I got nothing better to do, so I'm going to just do it. That, that was not this kind of thing. By turning his heart to search and seek out wisdom, he was engaged, Solomon was, all of who he actually was, every fiber in his being, to find it. He turned his heart. So he, you know, what have you ever been into that, that, that you, you immerse yourself in? You spend all your time. Maybe, maybe some people are into puzzles. They got like a thousand piece puzzles. That's cr- and the pieces are super small, man. My eyesight is getting worse as I'm getting older, and I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, you got to spend time. You have to put effort into figuring out, okay, I'm going to get these corners, and then I can slowly piece together this thousand-piece puzzle. Many of you know I work for a, a, a special needs private autistic school, and, and many of, of the clients I work with, they, are, they, they can do puzzles like that like nothing. They're savants. They really are. It's something that they specialize in, they do it well. But, but this whole example, in order to do that, you have to turn your heart to it. You put your all into it. You see, all of Solomon's energy, effort, intelligence, and strength were all invested in seeking and finding wisdom. He was all in. Texas Hold'em, he was all in. He was holding back nothing. You see, his innermost being was locked in to finding the truth. Church, that's how we need to be today. As the body of Christ, we need to be locked in to what God is showing us and what God has revealed to us and to live that out on a daily basis. Amen. And after he locked in, what did he find? (laughs) He found that Jesus was the Messiah. (laughs) Wisdom in Christ. There's no two ways about it. An example of this being locked in to try to figure something else, uh, figure something out. Excuse me. It reminds me of. Has anybody uh, heard the testimony of Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ? There was a book a long time ago that was written, and they came out with a movie a little while ago. It is a great uh, inspirational testimony. You know, basically, this man worked for the Chicago Tribune. Him and his wife were not saved at the time. His wife ended up getting saved. He was, you know, I don't want to say alcoholic, but he drank heavily, and he he, he, he was a columnist. 
And he was so bent out of shape by the fact that his wife got saved that he said, you know what? I'm going to do this search and I'm going to prove that Jesus Christ is a farce. (laughs) And he went, I mean, he was locked in. His whole heart was all about proving Christ not right. He's not real. He doesn't exist. What happened? The man ended up getting saved. He, He gathered so much data for the intellectual mind. Right? It's all about data for the sophisticated mind. It's all about information. If I get all this information because I can figure it out. He had all this information and then it was like, it, it was overwhelming the way the Holy Spirit used the information that this man sought out to try to cause a curse on Christ to say he wasn't real. And now he ended up getting saved. And he's been saved for, you know, very many years. And I think he lives somewhere, um, you know, in the Midwest or down south. And, uh, you know, he has a very prosperous ministry. He's been a pastor for many years. But I love that testimony. I love that testimony because, again, we see this idea of someone giving all of themselves into a cause. And the real meaning of life, both now and eternity, is found in the restoration of our relationship with God. That, that's what it boils down to, church. Daniel was talking about this morning in prayer and, you know, we're getting prepared for eternity. <laughs> that's 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 one of the main reasons why we're still here. He's 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 doing a sanctifying work. And and, 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 and you know, I don't want to mince words, but it's the whole thing of, you know, yes, once save, always save. I get that. But but sal- but salvation, even though, you know, the the, the 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 baptism of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural ha- act that happens in an instant. Your sanctification is worked out every single day of your life, every single breath of your life from here on out. That just is how it works. There's things that, that he's 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 working out of us and we got to go through the refiner's fire and, and we got to go through and all the sludge and the, 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 the muck and the mire and all the, the things that are not right in our hearts. It needs to come out. So then the creator of our soul can look at us and see his reflection, just like they do with metal when they put the metal in the fire for the gold, all the sludge and all that has to come out. And when the, the goldsmith sees his reflection in, 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 the, in the piece, then he knows that it's ready. I don't know how it goes of when someone has to you know, pass on, but maybe that's how it is. All I know is we will go through these things, church, because it's part of our sanctification process. But the meaning of life is all wrapped up in the glory of God. The reason why you and I were made is for God's own glory. Aren't you so grateful that he allows you? He will not share his glory with anyone, but he imputes his righteousness onto you. And you get to take part in the fact that you are, you're grafted in to him. You're family with him. You're a child of God. That is who you are if Jesus is your Savior and your Lord this morning. You see, anytime you and I substitute our own glory for God's glory, we become idolaters and we miss out on the meaning of life. That's the whole thing of the whole premise of searching to and fro, high and low for things, for the meaning of life, only to come back and find that it's all about Jesus. I think many of us in this room have already been there and done that. But you see, Yahweh really wants us to know what the meaning of life is. He's not hiding He's not hiding it from you. He's not, he's not, it's, this is not hide and seek. This is not where's Waldo. The Lord is not hard to find. Amen. It is, are we willing enough or we, do we desire enough to find him? If we truly want to find him, he'll reveal himself to us. A full life is one that is meaningful and devoid of aimless wondering. Who, who wants a full life? Who wants to live a full life? 
I want to live a full life. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's crazy. So my wife was sharing with me. I wasn't even going to share. This is not even in my notes. My wife shared with me the other day. I think Betty, she shared it with you. It was a clip of a, of a young lady in, 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 in her testimony. And this testimony was very powerful. You know, I guess she was, uh, you know, it got in a car accident and the, it broke down to this lady thought she was going to die. She was a Christian. She was saved. But the scariest thing for her about the whole situation was she was not ready to die. She was not ready to die. You know, we hear it all the time. Well, if you're saved, you know, I'm ready to go whenever. But clearly this wasn't the case with her. She was not ready to die. And it was it was very powerful testimony because it was a reminder that, you know, every day that you and I live out, we have to live in light of eternity. We have to live light in, in, in light of the fact that God wants to do things in and through us. And we need to be good stewards of our time. All we really have is time. You know, you heard this saying, living on borrowed time. I mean, I don't know how true that is. I'm living on God's time. He has a timetable for when we're going to live and when we're going to die and go into eternity. But, you know, that's, that, that is a scary thing. To, to come to a place where, because she said at that moment where she thought she was felt like she was going to die, it didn't matter if she was single. It didn't matter what it was in her, what is in her bank account. All that mattered was it was her and God. It was her and her creator. And that's what the reality was. And she was not ready to go. So for you and me, that, that at least how I took it when I saw that video was, man, I need to be about my father's business every day, all day, throughout the day. I'm not talking about being fanatical. I don't think fanatical is the right word because you're you're, you're just really locked into wanting to serve and honor the Lord. And that's a good thing. Think about what 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 an average fanatic is. They call them fans. They spend three and a half hours in a parking lot in the frozen cold. If you're in Green Bay or somewhere like that and they're barbecuing and all this for a football game where they're not getting paid. The players are getting paid millions of dollars. And they're screaming at the top of their lungs. But then people come in the church house and they're ashamed to like say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. And I get it. Some people are more reserved and that's okay. But it's okay to also shout. Why are we not shouting? What have you been delivered from? What are you so grateful for that the Lord has done for you? That you would just keep it under wrap. I got to be a respectful Christian. I can't let them see that, that I'm, so, I'm so happy for the Lord to sanctify my life. That's crazy to me. <laughs> so don't think that you're a fanatic if you're a fanatic for Christ. People are fanatics for all kinds of other things that aren't even worthy of anything. The second main point is this. Ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, all wickedness, no matter how anybody wants to conjure it up all wickedness is folly and is a trap now verse 26 tells us the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters he who pleases god escapes her but the sinner is taken by her now some would suggest that this statement is speaking specifically of one woman or one kind of woman a prostitute or an adulteress and this is true this is very true we know near the, the end of Solomon's life, he compromised his faith by marrying many women who were not 
of the same faith, and they worship false gods. He also had many concubines and he tur- that turned his heart away from God. But there is more than meets the eye with this text, church. This woman whose heart is a snare and a trap is the personification of that wickedness, which is folly itself. The Bible has much to say about folly. In Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 down through 18, folly is associated with a seductive woman. Folly, foolishness in some translations, is, is loud and seductive and knows nothing. It's like, it's like the scripture says, you know, a, a beautiful woman without discretion is like, a, is like a pig with a golden ring in its snout. You know, have you ever have you ever met men and women like that? They're they're very they're very they're very uh, beautiful. They're very handsome. They're very attractive. But but the essence of how they live makes them ugly. Ugh! You repulse me with the way that you live, and it's not good. You're so loosey with it. That's not cool. It's good to be a prude. It's good to be prudent and have virtue and substance. And not just go with any old thing, any which way. She is seductive and, and, and she do, seduces the simple who pass by. Those who turn to her find death. In contrast, the lady wisdom who provides fine food and wine, the woman of folly produce, uh, provides stolen water and bread eaten in secret. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Okay, so the scripture is crystal clear. You want to understand why people, some people are so mad at God and they hold a clutch fist and they curse at him and they, 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 they try to wish it away and they, they try to think away the reality of who God is. <laughs> their folly has brought themselves to their own ruin and that's why they rage against the Lord God Almighty. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 21 tells us, Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. <laughs> wow. You know, sin can be enjoyable for a season, and that's the folly in sin. It says folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but when you're, when you're, when you're immersed in sin and enjoying sin, it says you lack sense. You're not wise. You're foolish. But it says a man of understanding walks straight ahead. You, you bypass the potholes. You bypass the landmines of sin because you recognize that that is not the wise way to go. You keep your eyes in your own skull, as the scripture tells us. We want to be like that, church. Amen. The third main point is this. In humanity's search to understand life and truth, we in our fallen state have failed to please God. Notice, I'm saying in our fallen state. I'm not saying you cannot not please God once you get saved. Do you know that, 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 that you can move the heart of God by your obedience but in our disobedience, in our natural fallen state, we have failed to please God. Verse 27 tells us, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. Adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things is basically Solomon trying to find, make an, explan- an explanation, um, make an explanation for things. He's trying to find out, he's trying to explain the purpose for everything, and he's having a hard time doing it. But in actuality, this is every human being. This is all of us. Think about it like this. As babies, 
We enter life with so much curiosity and wonder. That grows as we become children, and that curiosity and wonder never leaves us as we get older. Ultimately, as adults, we are searching for the meaning of life. Every person has done it. We're searching for meaning. We're searching for truth. We're searching for purpose. We're searching for identity. Solomon naturally wants to find an explanation. How will he find an explanation? Well, this text tells us by adding one thing to another. By using reason and deduction. Which is interesting since he had... He had to this point discovered that in every case he could not find any kind of comprehensive understanding. He, he, he just was keep, he, he kept coming to a, 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 a dead end. He, he didn't get it. And remember, he was very wealthy. So he, he excused himself of no pleasure. He experienced it all. Remember, he built vineyards. He, he did so much. But yet he could not find the answer. But that did not stop him from trying. In each case, his reason led him back to faith. Faith is always the starting place for understanding, church. Solomon gives us a preview saying that he is seeking but has not found a satisfactory answer. When you and I seek for answers in life, in everything else but God, we are left empty, dissatisfied, unhappy with the answer we receive. But when we search out God, and we ask Him to come into our hearts, and we ask Him to reveal Himself to us, we're given revelation of the truth, and then peace, love, joy, patience come into our heart. Contentment. We learn to be content in whatever lot we've been given in life. Amen? Who is responsible for the universal failure to please God? Solomon said, people are, not God. You see, Yahweh had made us upright in the sense of being able to choose to please him or not to please him. He gave, he, he gave us the right construct. He gave us the right DNA and he made us with free will. But because of our sinful nature, we have all gone our own way in pursuit of many devices. John chapter 1 verse 3 tells us, All things were made through him, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we know that just we, we, I don't know if we talked about this to extent uh, last week, but when you look at the Godhead, when you look at the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit, God being uncreated life. <laughs> you see, me and you are created life, right? He's uncreated life, yet him being uncreated life, he has complete community and communion within himself. There is no need for anything. He has fellowship within himself. God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why all of us are looking and searching for community. That's why if you're very rich and you're into golf, you join the golf club. Why? Because you want community in the country club. That's why if you're poor and on the east side on King and Story, you join a gang because what? You're from a broken home, and your broken home ain't giving you community and family, so you go seek it out in the street. That's why cliques, whether they play cricket or baseball or, or badminton or, or they nerd out and do tech stuff, why, is every, why are there all these clubs in high school? Because people need community. Why? Because we are created in the image of God, and within himself, the Godhead, he has perfect unity and community, so you and I naturally do it the same. 
That's a beautiful thing. We just need to make sure we find community in him and in God's people, and then you'll be on the right track. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and break down these verses a little bit closer so we can get more depth in this. So when we look at verse 25, it says, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. You see, this is what I'm talking about. Just this one verse, man. There's so much. We just spend the whole time on this. This is a mouthful. If we don't strap in and lock in, man, we're going to miss it. You see, Solomon makes it clear that wisdom is found not on the surface of events, but only by those willing to work, to dig, to study, to analyze, to uncover it. This is what we talk about, church, when you and I have a part to play. We have a part to play. Do, do, you, do, you, do you realize that the level of anointing that you experience in your Christian walk is not all on God. The level of anointing that you and I experience in our walk with Christ has to do with how much are you and I seeking after him? How much are you and I searching for him? How much are you and I walking in obedience to when he calls us to do things? That means you and I have a part to play. We can't just blame God. Many people say, I want healing. And, I, and I, there's, obviously there's mysteries of God. And I don't understand why some people get healed now. And some people get healed over time. And some people won't get healed until they reach heaven. But the reality is, we do control how much anointing is upon our lives based on what we do with the revelation that God has already given us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Do your best to present yourselves to God As one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You see, we have to do our part. (laughs) We have to be like the Bereans. We got to study out the word of God. We got to study the scripture. It's something that should not be a drudgery. It should become a delight. This is something that you should get up about. That you should be ecstatic about. You should be grateful. Like, Lord, thank you that you allow me to get into your word. Thank you that you allow your revelation to sink in and you open up the eyes of my heart to understand the text. You know, there was a point in time where I didn't want nothing to do with the Bible because I just didn't understand it. Because there was no revelation there. There there was no revealing and unveiling the truth. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, how are you going to understand? That's why people can, 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 can slice and dice the scripture to make it mean whatever they want because they, make it, they, they, they manipulate it. <laughs> they make it say what they want it to say. But the scripture speaks for itself. And if you have the revelation of God, you'll understand the truth as it is relayed to you. Amen. You see, Jesus Christ is both wisdom and truth. In both instances, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 25, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we see searching and working going hand to hand. They fit together like a hand in a glove. Christ is simply not just going to fall in our laps and do absolutely everything for us. There is a level of participation that is needed on our part. Remember, we are in relationship with him. We are in koinonia. We are in fellowship. We are in communion with with God. To have communion with Father God through Jesus Christ means we have a common, what? A common union. 
There is energy. There is effort. There is thought. Critical thought. There is time put into fellowship with Him. An example is, is this. Think about any of your human relationships. Think of all the relationships you have with people. How are those relationships that you have with people that you put absolutely no effort in? Probably not that great. You're probably like, well, we're just acquaintances. I mean, you know, I say hi, bye. <laughs> you know, there's not much depth to our relationship. But what about the ones where you've put in time, you've put in effort, and then you see on the other side, it's been met with equal effort and time. Those relationships are probably thriving because you guys have a common union and and you're both giving of yourselves for the oneness of the relationship. You see, whenever you and I put in effort in our relationship with the Lord, he'll always put more back in. (laughs) That's why the scripture says, test the Lord to see that he's good. If you seek him, you think he's not going to reveal himself. Man, if if you're adamant about wanting to know the Lord and your heart's like, man, I'm I'm not I'm not doing this for for fame. I'm not doing this for fortune. I'm not doing this to be recognized. I just I just want I just want to have fellowship with you, Lord. You think he's not going to bless you in such a way where he's going to just fill you with grace and love and peace and joy and, 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 and put a heavy anointing upon your life where you just have wisdom. You just have understanding. You you have revelation. You're able to see like, man, I'm able to see clearly way before the, the the problem comes and then even if i don't see the problem when it comes i'm not i'm not shaking i'm not moved i'm not gonna fall out of my relationship with christ because i know he gods me these are the things that he'll give you far much more than when we give whatever effort we give into the relationship he'll always do so much more for us but we got to make the first move remember james chapter 4 verse 8 says Draw close to the Lord and he'll draw close to you. It doesn't say he's going to draw close to you. <laughs> it says if you draw close to him, man, he's going to come running to you. Think of the prodigal son's father. Remember the men in those days? They wore the long robes. And it's, 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 it's a shame for an elderly Jewish man to run. But yet what did he do? He saw his son from afar coming from the pig trough. And he ran to him. That's a picture of Father God and us. We're coming back from the pig trough. We're all messed up. We're like, man, I don't know what to say. I'm just messed up. Just forgive me. Just receive me. What do he do? Kill the fatted calf. Get the singing ring. Get the sandals. Get the robe, man. We blessing him. We having a feast. That's how it is, church. Running to us. When he gave a little bit. He just recognized he was wrong. He said, I got to get back to my father's house. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been wrong. And you're like, man, I just got to get back to my father's house. Do not let Satan get you with shame. Do not let Satan condemn you. Come back. Come back to the father. What did Michelle say? You ain't got to get cleaned up. What you going to (laughs) do? We think we get clean. There ain't nothing we can do to clean ourselves up. Just, Just throw yourself upon the mercy seat of Father God and watch him bless you. Amen. But if we don't seek him out diligently daily, I will just throw that in there. Diligently daily. This ain't, this ain't, this ain't, well, I'm going to study for, for like three and a half hours on, 
on, on Tuesday, and then that's going to make up for, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I'm going to come to the church house Sunday. I ain't going to read none of those days because I read three and a half hours. No, man. And ain't nobody telling you to read three and a half hours, man. Now, if you feel led, go ahead, do what you do. But you know what? Small doses every single day. Get in the word daily. I don't know how many times, you know, I hear stories and I'm like, but and people tell me this, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, bro, was you in the word? Have you, did you fall on your face before God in the morning? Did you, did you, do you talk to God throughout the day? If I hear I wasn't in the word, I'm not that smart. I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I will tell you this. I can guarantee you from the word of God, if you get in the word daily, you will begin to see spiritual blessings manifest in your life. But if you are not putting the word of God first and foremost in your life, that's why you're malnourished spiritually. That's why you're not strong in the spirit. You can be strong in the spirit. You can be very strong in the spirit, but it takes effort. I'm telling y'all from my own experience, ESPN ain't that important. The NASDAQ is not that important. Apple Music is not that important. Twitter is not that important. Snapchat is not that important. Facebook, YouTube, the whole nine is not that important, man. If we can spend time uploading some whatever, some video on TikTok, man, you can spend some time in the Word of God. I mean, it's made it so easy. You just do it on the phone. They got the Bible app for crying out loud. You don't even got to read it. Let it play the audio to you and listen to it. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. And I get fired up about this because... There is a level of spiritual immaturity and laziness that is plaguing the church. We need to be fit spiritually. We need to get strong on the inside. And it takes effort. It takes effort. I'm not saying we're saved by works. I know we're not saved by works. But good works accompany a changed heart. And you will see yourself walk in the good works that the Lord has provided for you and prepared for you long ago if you put him first daily. <sighs> My whole point was if you, don't, if you don't diligently seek him daily, don't be surprised when you feel distant from him because you are. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 3 through 12 tells us, and this is beautiful because this tells us the benefits of wisdom. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. I mean, that, that paints a perfect picture of what wisdom and insight will do for you and I if we would only search out God. He tells us the fear of the Lord will come into your heart. We know that the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. 
And again, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us because, you know, whatever. If we just come in and read the fear of God, we're like, man, I think he's a taskmaster. You want me to fear him? No, we have to have a right understanding of what that means, the fear of God. It means to have a humble humility before him, knowing that he is God Almighty. And that fear of God will keep us at his feet, and then he will exalt us. What does the scripture say? <laughs> he can't do anything with the proud, but with the humble he will exalt. The application is this, church. We must have the desire to seek out wisdom and truth. It should be of the utmost importance to you and I. The scripture is crystal clear. If we honestly, humbly seek him, we will find him. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 tells us, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart means all of your being. Goes back to what Solomon was saying. He turned his heart. He turned his heart to search out the meaning of things. When you and I, with all of our being, seek out the Lord and are honest and sincere, He says, you will find Him. He wants you to find Him. He wants you to come into perfect koinonia with Him so that you can have the fullness of life granted to you and given to you, which was ripped away and taken from you at the garden when sin entered into the world. He wants to restore all of humanity back to Himself. That is His desire. Amen? While this prophecy and promise is specifically related to the people of Judah and Israel, the principle that God will draw near to those who draw near to him is a universal truth. It's an irrefutable spiritual law. But we have to draw near to God on his own terms with clean hands and a purified heart that only God can provide by the grace and faith through Jesus Christ. So why is this so important? Why am I hammering this down, church? Because the truth and error are many times side by side. So they must be recognized and be distinguishable between one from the other. If you aren't seeking godly wisdom daily and the truth in the person of Jesus Christ, you will not know the difference between wisdom and folly. Many people think they're wise and they're foolish. Many people have, ha, have knowledge, but they don't apply knowledge. And so they're foolish. Remember, Wisdom is knowledge applied. This scripture, I'm not going to say that, that, that the word is not powerful. The word is powerful. We know it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But what do we do with this book is what makes all the difference. If you have all this head knowledge, but you do not apply the principles of scripture to your life daily, you will not see the power of God manifest in your life. You have to apply it. You have to apply it. I have to apply it. That's where you see the power. You'll see it manifest itself. And you'll have so much understanding that it'll just it'll trickle down into other people's lives and you'll be such a blessing to other people and you'll be blessed. You'll be at peace with yourself. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. It's not even Satan. We just don't have peace with ourselves. But when you have wisdom, when you have the fear of the Lord in your heart, then you have wisdom. Then you have wisdom. Then you have contentment. Then you have peace. You see how it's all just a, I can't explain it. It's just the way the Lord, you know, he created it. It's just a kind of this, this godly, holy cycle that works. But it starts with the fear of God. We've got to have a holy fear of God. We must grow in our discernment of truth and error by clinging to God. Have you seen that in your own life? When you cling to him, he just reveals things to you at the proper time. And you're like, oh, man, thank you. <laughs> I was stressed out about this situation. And you just, man, I, I just cling to you. And then you just gave me the understanding I needed. And even sometimes we make poor choices. 
And then maybe it's in, in hindsight, and then the Lord gives us wisdom, and then we're able to see the error in our ways. I talked about this last week. The blessing for Simeon from Jacob was a rebuke. Before Jacob died, he rebuked Simeon. But that was a blessing if Simeon was willing to receive the rebuke. That's just like you and me. When the Lord corrects us, remember, what does he do? He, 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 chast- he, he chastises and chastens those he loves, those are his, who are his children. If you're not being corrected by the Lord, I think that's a very slippery slope and a scary place to be. That's like, man, am I illegitimate? Because I don't, I don't sense the conviction of the Lord upon my heart. There's no correction going on. <laughs> there has to be, church. Amen? All right, let's look at the last of these verses. They're all coupled together. We'll break them down little by little. So there's clarity. So there's no confusion. Because I know this text can seem confusing. Uh, 24 down through, I'm sorry, 26 down through 29. And it says, and I find, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. Again, this is a mouthful. There's a whole lot going on here and a whole lot to get twisted and misconstrued if we don't have the Holy Spirit guiding us in the context. So we see this first statement, and I find something more bitter than death. Wow, this is crazy right here. First off, what is more bitter then death. And what, what does bitter mean? So we need to look at the definition of bitter. The definition of bitter is saying having a sharp, pungent taste or smell, not sweet. Like, I don't know, no, 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 uh, don't want to disrespect anybody, but I can't stand Swiss cheese. <laughs> that stuff stank. Oh, man, Swiss cheese just smell like throw up. I don't know who's eating it. I don't mean to disrespect you if you're all about Swiss cheese. If I ever go to your house, do not give me Swiss cheese. <laughs> I can't do it. It just, that pungent smell, it is stinky, it's sharp. It's not sweet, that's for sure. What? This is what he's saying? So Solomon said he found something that was more unsavory than death itself. Now what, is, what in the world could he mean by this? I mean, that's crazy because death is extremely bitter for those who die outside of Christ. And if we gauge death by the physical smell, it would just be rancid if you've been around a body that's decomposing. I mean, people that work in the, in the medical field, people that live, you know, work in, on the police force, they see this all the time. I mean, a decomposing body, that doesn't smell good. With all your stuff coming out as soon as you die... And you just had three double cheeseburgers, a chocolate milkshake, you know what I mean? The two big old espressos from Starbucks, that's all coming out. So that's rancid and stanky and nasty and it's unsavory. So what is Solomon talking about that he found something more unsavory than death itself? It's crazy. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16, I got this is the NLT version. But I liked how this translated. It said, to those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And and who is adequate for such a task as this? So what in the world could be more bitter than death itself? This is the answer, church. The road, the avenues, the vehicles... 
the devices that lead people to death. We know this to be true because the very next statement we read says, The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. You see, this statement is both literal and symbolic. Let me, let me first start off before getting into this by, by saying, don't get hung up on the use of the word woman. Because see, some will be like, you see here, they always say in a woman, misogynist, chauvinistic. No, we need the Holy Spirit to give us discernment on what's actually being said here. Because simply put, a man, a male, I know that there's confusion nowadays and people really don't know what a man and a male and a woman and a female are. There's only two sexes. Anyways, but simply put, a man could be just as much of a stumbling block as the woman that is depicted in this text right here. You see, this style of teaching is called personification The use of woman here as a snare, nets, and hands like fetters are examples to get your attention and mine. Still, in the same boat, because we serve a multifaceted God, there is the relevancy of this woman being who exactly she was, because Solomon was definitely speaking from experience. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1-4 through tell us, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidium, and Hittite woman. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. I mean, he didn't just have a casual relationship. He clung Girl, don't leave me. (laughs) He said that to a lot of women, man. He had 700 wives. I got one wife. And I don't got it figured out. I don't know how he got 699 more. How you even got time in the day? Man. Who were princesses? And to add on to that, he had 300 concubines. Why? What what in the world? I mean, it's really, gosh, as much as we're laughing, it's really sad. It's it's really sad. And, and, And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. He wasn't true to Yahweh, as was the heart of David his father. You see, and, 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 and this text is not teaching. You can't have interracial marriage. You should not be unequally yoked with a marriage partner. If you are saved as a Christian, you shouldn't be marrying an unsaved person. Now, I'm, that's, this is, I'm being sensitive. I'm trying to be sensitive about it. Many people come from different backgrounds where, yes, it wasn't the way it's supposed to be in the Bible. But, you know, we also have scripture that talk about, you know, the praying wife. And, and that can be interchangeable, too. You just don't leave, you know, on any grounds. People can get saved. But ideally, the premise is don't be unequally yoked. 
Look at this example. It's so bad when you go, when you allow yourself to be led by your flesh and your carnality, you're liable to do anything. You see, because of his bad experiences with polygamy, he was instructed by the Holy Spirit to write Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. This is a changed heart as he's seen through experience. That's where it says Solomon had more wisdom than anyone in the world. I mean, it's probably because he did all kind of crazy stuff. Because you know, church, we learn by what? Making mistakes. And he made a gang of mistakes. That's why he's the wisest man in all the world that's ever been. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, it says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Shiloh. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. That's so sad, too. When someone is so lost in their iniquity that they, they, they don't even know that they're wandering to death. And it's even worse that they're dragging people with them. All of this is very true of the promiscuous women and men alike. It is also true that this is symbolic and anything out of Jesus Christ that will try to appeal to your flesh to drag you away from God. It is these women... Men, activities, hobbies, social groups, and etc. that are the things that are more bitter than death. It's the avenue that takes you to death that's worse than death itself. That's what Solomon's talking about. These again are the vehicles and devices that lead people to death. Next we see the statement, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. You see, Solomon learned that the person who wants to please God will escape folly and wickedness. But the person who prefers to sin will not. You know, I'm so grateful that in my stupidity, as I was younger, the Lord was so gracious to me. Because I was that man. I was that young man. I was that adolescent. I was that person who preferred to sin. (laughs) I liked sin. And, and who, who doesn't like sin? I'm not being blasphemous because sin is pleasurable for a season. But when that season is up, you got to pay the piper. You don't want to die in that sin. You don't want to die in that place. But you see, it says that the man or the woman who escapes folly is the one who chooses and desires to please God. They will or will not escape based on what is the strongest desire in their hearts. How do we know this to be biblically true? Because God is always providing a way of escape out of every temptation we will ever face. This is the question. Do we want to escape sin enough? Because that's what it really is. You can't say, oh man, it's just, no, yeah, I get it's hard. But he made a way of escape. So that means if it's so hard and you keep going back to it like a dog to its vomit, that must mean you want the vomit more than you want the freedom and liberation of not being bound and shackled to your sin of your choice. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 tells us clearly, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. The Bible is clear about this fact. We, you, I, all of us are all enticed and drawn away from God due to the unclean desires within our own hearts. And we can know for sure that God never tempts anyone. Satan is the tempter, not God. James chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 tells us, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, but this is the glorious part of it. The one who fears God, the one who pleases God will escape. You'll escape that temptation. Once again, why? Because you have a holy fear of God. And your holy fear of God supersedes your temptation and your lustful desire for whatever it is you're battling with. That fear of God has to be greater than that lustful desire. And I'm not talking sexual. It could be sexual. It could be the lust for money. It could be the, the, the lust for attention. It could be the lust for the, uh, you know, the accumulation of things, for status, whatever it is. You got to, I got to keep it in check and the holy fear of God has to trump that lustful desire every time. Amen? The one who does not fear God will fall victim to his or her own carnality. This is why the scripture tells us in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? You see, it's such an illusion, church. It goes back to identity and having an identity crisis. When we have an identity crisis, we try to accumulate relationships and things and experiences, thinking if I have all this stuff, I'm going to know who I am and I'm going to be whole and I'm going to be complete. But after, if you're wealthy enough to go to Tahiti... <laughs> If you're wealthy enough to buy that Tesla car, if you're wealthy enough to buy that house on the hill, and none of these things are in, in, inherent, God bless you, inherently uh, in, in and of themselves wrong. They're not bad. They're not evil. But if we're looking for the chip to Tahiti, the, the Tesla car, if we're looking for the house on the hill, the wife with the size five waist, the husband with the strappingly big muscles to complete us and give us identity, we're like this man. What does it profit you? You gain the whole world, but you forfeited your soul. You have no contentment. You have no peace. You have no true identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. This is a pressing question, church. What are you willing to gain in this life in exchange for your eternal soul? The answer should be absolutely nothing. In Solomon's search for wisdom and truth, he came to this statement. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Once again, don't go sexist on me, please. Solomon could find a rare man in a thousand with wisdom, but not even one woman. This speaks more about Solomon's choice of female companionship than it does about the relative wisdom of men and women. The text basically is telling us that no righteous person is found in the community at all. None. Nobody is upright and nobody is wise apart from Christ. God created us good, but we have forgotten him in our sinful nature and have gone our own way. Failing to fully understand God's scheme of things, people have turned aside to their own explanation of things. This is a side note. 
But in Solomon's fruitless search for a woman he could trust, this actually reveals just as much about him as it does about the women that he had relationships with. So it, it, t- it tells you a little bit about his character. You know, when he talks, he's speaking about himself <laughs> when he says that. We learn that Yahweh's original plan for one man and one woman becoming one flesh for life is the best possible plan. And that still stands true today. Learn from Solomon. No, you don't have multiple wives. Don't, don't have these side relationships. Once you decide to get married, you stay faithful to that man and that woman for life. You become one flesh. You have community within your marriage as Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit have community with, uh, within one another. Remember, he is the bride and we are what? The bridegroom. We are the, uh, we are the bride, excuse me, and he is the bridegroom. That fellowship, that, that, that unity, that communion that is there. Thank you, Daniel. Solomon understood that God made man without sin. But man, since the time of Adam, has sought out many schemes of sin and rebellion against God. You see, God's plan is simple, church. God the Father's purpose for humanity is perfect and complete, lacking nothing. To have intimate, fulfilling relationship, to have fellowship with Him forever. To be made whole, to be made to have peace, to have joy, to have love, to be sustained through the supernatural power that only He can provide. This is why you can never find complete satisfaction in anything or anyone else who is created. I mean, you can go to Legoland. You can buy, you know, the new Chucky Dunks. I mean, you can can go on the keto diet and and get yourself as the best physical shape that you can. But those those things are not going to complete you. They're not going to fulfill you. There's still going to be an empty hole and a vacuum in your soul that needs to be fulfilled by God Almighty himself. You need to find your wholeness in the one who created you. And you see the full scope of who God the Father truly is and the, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ cannot be contained. This is why we are commanded in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Why? Because of our limited view of who God truly is, it takes away from the vastness and greatness of him if we try to make an image of who he is. And uh, this is my last point, so um, when, when you guys are ready, Michelle and Isaiah can come up as we begin to wind down. Please understand this when, when I say this. I, I am in no way being blasphemous by any means. I'm fully aware and grateful for Jesus Christ taking on human flesh and being the sacrifice for my sins. That is a fundamental truth of our faith. By the same token, God is not simply just the bodily vessel of Jesus Christ as he walked on this earth. He is far greater than the shell of his physical body that was sacrificed for our sins. This is why we are commanded to worship God in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4 verse 24 tells us God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship means worth-ship. What is he worth? That's why it goes, I mean, we sing it in here all the time. It's far beyond a song. 
It's far beyond a song. Yes, worship and praise through song and praise is one component of it. But true worship is your life devoted to him. You give over your whole entire being to him because that is what he is worth. Not withholding part of yourself from him because you think you got a better plan. No, he's the one who created you. He is the potter and you are the clay. I am the clay. We need to allow him to do a work in and through us because he is worth that. Amen. We must be willing to choose to lay down our lives on a daily basis, to pick up our cross and to follow after Jesus. It will always cost us something. But what we must give up for Jesus' sake is always worth it. I'll end with this, this cool little point. The Hebrew historians say that Isaac, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Isaac and, uh, Isaac and um, Abraham and going up to Mount Moriah and God the Father asked him, I want you to sacrifice your son. Well, the historians say he wasn't a little boy. <laughs> he was more like 35, upwards to 35 years old. <laughs> He's a grown man. So what that tells me is a grown man, he could have simply said, Pops, I ain't doing it. I ain't laying down here letting you take that knife to my chest and sacrifice me on, on this altar. I'm not doing it. But this is a prototype of Christ. 35-year-old man laying himself down saying, Papa, I trust you. I trust the Lord. I trust what he's going to do. This is significant because it shows us the willingness to surrender to the will of the Father. May we be those who walk upright lives and live each day in the reality of who we truly are in Jesus Christ and lay our life down for him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for just this timely reminder of the difference between wisdom and folly. Father, I pray that you would put in every single one of us now a holy fear of you that would never leave us that we wouldn't be able to think away things when we know we're teetering on the brink of going over and that we would fall back onto you and that we would understand that honoring you is far better than allowing our minds to run rampant and doing our own thing. We thank you. We bless your name. We thank you for your, for your just goodness to us and, 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 and your patience with us. Lord, you're such a good, loving God. And may you receive all honor and glory all the days of our lives. Continue to speak truth into our lives. And please do not take the Holy Spirit from us. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.